Clayton. And I'm your romance novel veteran. And I'm the virgin. And we're your hosts. Hi, I Clayton. messed up the intro. What'd you say? I said, and this is Clayton. I'm supposed to say, and I'm Clayton. Do, I mean, do you want to do it again? No. Okay. People know. People know how it's supposed to go. I think people know that, like, in the English language, there are quite a few ways to introduce yourself, and I think you just chose a different one, and that's okay. I'm trying to shake it up a little, you know? Everything's <laughs> so in stasis. I'm like, let's get a little, let's get a little loosey-goosey. That is the one thing to say about this time, is everything is very in stasis. <laughs> yeah. No, this is the, the wildest time to possibly live. It's crazy. I think it's like, there's a lot going on. There's a lot of heaviness in the world right now. And I think that, you know, we'll take a little break from it, if that's possible, to talk about a romance novel. Yes. Um, Just to be a little bit silly and have a little bit of fun. And then, you know, we have to all go back to sort of like doing our part. But uh, that's why we're going to talk about an alien love story today. (laughs) Because... uh, I mean, just not to sh- tip our hand so early, but it was a great book and it was so silly and it was so out there and it was so wild and it was so the exact opposite of everything that's happening right now that I really am so grateful for us to have chosen this to read this week. And there's no way we could have known. Yeah, it was a, it was a perfect oasis, I think. So what did we read this week? We read Strange Love by Anne Aguirre. And this is the first book in the Strange Love series. Um, And it only came out in January. And so I want to give a special shout out to one of our listeners, Marlene, who was the one who emailed us about this book. So uh, Marlene uh, emailed us to say, uh, Dear Aaron and Clayton, faithful podcast listener here with an earnest request. Please read and review Anne Aguirre's Strange Love which I tried on a lark as a free uh, Kindle Unlimited book and quite fell in love with. Features a truly alien cinnamon roll hero, not just a man with blue skin and horns. I mean, shots fired (laughs) at uh, Ice Planet Barbarians. Yes. Uh, A a feisty heroine, hilarious dog, and some strange but steamy canoodling and real stakes. Trigger warning for a bit of Hunger Games-like violence, but it's minimal. So thank you, Marlene, for, for recommending this to us. Thank you so much, Marlene. I, now, before we get into it, do you, like, you, you teased this last episode that this was a cinnamon roll alien. What does that mean? Did you figure that out? I was living in fear that you would ask me this question because I don't 100% what a cinnamon roll hero is. I feel like it's a newer term from like Twitter. And I think it's just the idea of a hero who is just like really pure and sweet and soft and who is like just kind of loving and beta and there's no sort of angst associated with them. That's my best understanding of it. Yeah, so from Urban Dictionary, mm-hmm. which, you know, this is where you should get all your definitions for, for terms. A character that is very kind and sweet but faces more hardship and suffering than they truly deserve. Comes okay. from the usage of an article headline from The Onion titled, Beautiful Cinnamon Roll, Too Good for This World, Too Pure, to describe a person <laughs> or character 
that is very good but faces a lot of pain in their life. Okay, so I, I was... At first, when it was like Cinnamon Roll Hero, I just wasn't sure what the connotation was going to be, and I thought it was going to be like filthy or something. But that's very <laughs> sweet, and I think that is a perfect encapsulation of our hero. I agree. Um, so before we get into it, let's judge this cover. I loved it. I think it's a great cover. I mean, I feel like looking at it, I ha- I think that maybe you will say it doesn't read romance, which it doesn't. It's just a picture of an alien, like a predator type alien. And you see like a world behind him, like lit- like cityscapes. And it's all kind of, you know, all of these bright colors. But I really love it. And I think it also sets it up too that this is going to be an a a romance or a book with non-human characters. True. Yeah. I can't, it does read sci-fi to me. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Other than the title strange love, which after reading this book makes me laugh because it's such a downplaying of what happens in this book. Eh, It's just strange love, you know, (laughs) It, it, may, it cracks me up so hard that this is just called, plainly, Strange Love. I can't think of a better title for it, though, and I can't really think of a better cover for it because what's inside it is so unique and wonderful that I couldn't... I, I, I'm having a hard time right now because I just read this last night. I'm having a very hard time figuring out what the cover would be for this that would be a romance cover. I think it would make it seem too goofy because there is like a level, there's a level of goofiness to this book, but it's not cloying and it's not unserious. So that it's just a really crazy tone that she was able to maintain. That is Mm -hmm. when I say people previously in this podcast, I talked about walking a tightrope. This is the most amazing tightrope walk I've ever witnessed in a romance book so far. Yes. Totally, totally this book should it work. It is all over the place. It is, yeah, like you said, goofy in places. It is wild. Like, truly bonkers things happen. And, like, I love a bonkers romance. Don't don't uh, get me wrong. But this somehow managed to toe the line of this is insane, but all of the emotions felt very true. And I was on board for every insane thing that happened. Even as I was like, this is, this is crazy. I was like, yeah, but this is also how it would react. And this is how it would happen. And and this all tracks for me. Honestly, the only other person that I can think who has done this, this deftly is uh, Lorraine Heath with her, bonkers plots and obviously that's different that's historical romance but like the way Lorraine Heath can have you know cuckoo bananas things happen and you just read the book and you don't realize like oh it's insane that his twin brother was killed by a monkey and he came back (laughs) and was able to convince his wife that he was his brother but as you read that story you're like yeah this all makes sense yeah I'm on board I I get the emotion in all of these scenes she was able to do that and I think that that was like really wonderful with it still being a silly story because listen 
I don't want to, you know, shit on Ice Planet Barbarians. Those are goofy books. They're great. We love them. We might read another one coming up. But the issue that I had with that first book was it seemed like she wanted to bring in a sense of real danger into that book. And so what she did was she had somebody very violently gang raped and then murdered in a book that otherwise was truly goofy. Uh And it was really upsetting for that reason too, because I'm like, Oh, I'm here for a goofy book and I'm, and I'm watching this. That is like truly disturbing. We're here. She was able to bring that depth and that sense of like danger or things maybe not working out or realism and nobody's getting raped and there's never even a threat of rape. There's nothing. Yeah. You know? Like, well, cause we're getting into this book and I, I want, I think we're so excited to get into this and let's put a pin in that because that is a huge thing that I want to talk about the difference between mm-hmm. this and most of the alien books that we've read. But I think I let's need to do... give a little bit of, yeah. Yeah. So Clayton, tell us, what was this book about? Okay, so this book is about Beryl Bowman. And if I'm saying that wrong, again, feel free to email. Don't. Actually, don't. Because I can't handle it right now. We actually, before this, w- w- tried to find a pronunciation for this name to make sure that we did not get it wrong. So, Beryl. Take it up who, with YouTube. Yeah. Yes. Who is there? Who is on Earth with her dog Snaps, and she gets abducted by Xylar, who thinks that there's been a battle on Earth. He doesn't know it's Earth. He's on the wrong planet, and he's there because he used an intergalactic Tinder, I guess, to find a match for him because he needs to find a mate he's gone four rounds of the choosing without finding a mate and this is his last chance if he does not find a mate this time he becomes a drone and has to live in a dormitory so this has a lot of stakes for him he thinks they're in danger and abducts them brings them back to his planet his his ship is has an AI named Helix, and Helix goes bonkers and cannot remember how to get back to Earth. So Beryl is kind of stuck. But during this time, she learns about... So much that goes on in this book. She learns about the customs. She learns about Xylar and how sweet of a guy he is and decides to rebuke her old life and say you know what i'm gonna go along with this this choosing and see how it goes because <laughs> she is the chillest person <laughs> that has ever existed uh who I, I mean i love her i love him and her we'll get into that but then there's a series of competitions that have to happen in order for them to be able to be together and xylar has a dickhead brother Ryzven. And Ryzven is really, he's the shit. All the, all the intergalactic babes want to be with him. He's an alpha <laughs> and Xylar is a beta and there's a whole fight there. And then I don't want to get more into it because there's so much that goes on and I want to talk deeper into the book, but obviously there's a happily ever after. 
but there's so many things in this book to talk about, uh, especially Snaps being able to speak. And because uh, Xylar puts a translator in Barrel and Snaps, and Snaps is a talking dog. And it is pretty, I, I want to say that could have been a trope that was really corny, but I loved it. Snaps was like my dude at, by the end. <laughs> And I'm, I'm not so a dog lover. You. I'm not an animal lover. Right. I was worried that you were going to hate Snaps and I would have to be mad at you. But he is the cutest dog. And then she did do a great job of like, this is what the dog would be thinking and doing. But didn't fall into the trap of like, I'm going to make this comic relief and I'm just going to keep going, going to it and going to it. Like it, it all was also seemed pretty authentic. Yes. Well, there's a moment, and we're getting ahead, but there's a moment where, where Snaps could be in danger. And I mm. said in my head while I was reading this, if they kill Snaps, I'm, I am I don't know. And I'm never that way. I'm never that way with animals in movies or, or most things where, you know, I, I'm not of the, I'm not of the opinion that animals are more important. Their lives aren't more important than humans' lives. I don't I don't believe that and I don't subscribe to that in, in you know when I see it in movies where people get upset when a dog dies but don't care when half a dozen humans die but there was a moment he was in danger where I was like I I don't think this is going to happen but if it does I'm really going to be very upset. I might have to take a moment and put this book down and just yeah. weep for snaps. <laughs> but I mean obviously yeah. Aaron what did you think of this book? You loved it. Yeah. Loved it. It was great. Um, all right. Well, let's get into it. So I already sort of said a little bit of my piece. What What is your thinking off well, the top? Well, just to go back, because I know we're going to totally forget about this. When you were talking about this compared to Ice Planet Barbarians, that was the thing that resonated so much with me with this book, is that this had genuine stakes and actual genuine tense moments that had nothing to do with rape. They had to do with, so his brother, Ryzven, is a jerk and he wanted Beryl. And there was a moment where you felt, okay, if she's alone with Ryzven, I don't know what's going to happen. But it, But also he had so much power over that planet and the environment that it wasn't, I think, a physical scare. It was, what, what, are the, what is he going to do to ruin their life? Because he could, you know, he could have them just, like, kicked off the planet. He could take everything that Xylar has. He could threaten them in other ways. But that, like, felt more like genuine fright than the beginning of you know, the the beginning of the Ice Planet Barbarians, which I thought was just like very exploitative, you know? You know, I'm not really well read in this trope or in sort of like the alien romance genre. So like there, I do have a level of ignorance here. I do think it's possible to have like a more serious alien romance book. I think like um, Star Champion was not necessarily goofy. Like it was pretty straight on. But it's like if I am reading a book called Ice Planet Barbarians and you look at those covers and like 
again, it's not that I hate this series. I like the series. I continue to read it. I was a guest on the Ice Planet podcast. Like, you know, I, I still do waiting think for it, my call. What? I'm still waiting for my oh, call for, for that podcast. She would have you on a hundred percent. Um, it is so off-putting to have such a violent thing happen. And then once that exists, then in the back of your mind, that's all you're kind of thinking about with the heroine. And it was really nice to have, like I, like you said, real stakes, bad things could happen, but I was never like, okay, she's going to be violated. It it never, it, that threat was never there. Um, well, in her mind, it was at the beginning because she does make a several references to like, okay, he hasn't probed my butt yet. He hasn't yeah. touched my butt, which is true. I mean, because when you think of when people talk about alien abduction, anal probing is one of the things that is the go-to thought mm-hmm. and the go-to motif for that stuff. And I thought it was played it was played off as kind of jokey, but also I think that was a genuine fear. Like she was thinking of it in a lighthearted manner to not freak out. Right. Well, and I think too, it's like, it's just the hazard of being a woman on planet earth. I think it's that it does enter your mind. It it takes a couple chapters before she's like, okay, Xylar is not going to take advantage of me. Mm -hmm. There's violence and death. But it doesn't seem cheap. It doesn't seem like there's a cheap thrill to, oh, is he going to, is he going to, you know, stick his claws up her butt? It's just, <laughs> you know, it's it, that that thrill isn't there in that way. It is there, though, in another way. But it's in some of the most tender, sweetest, bizarre lovemaking scenes that I've ever read. Oh, Yeah. I mean, those are great. Well, she even asked, so she makes friends with a green spirit named Kerr, who is just basically like a sentient plant. Mm-hmm. And she talks to Kerr and she's like, so like when they abduct humans, are they for like probing and having sex with? And Kerr is like, what? No. She's like, I don't know. She's like, maybe they take them for parts. Mostly they put them in zoos. And she was like, huh. <laughs> she's like, oh, an intergalactic zoo. I yeah. always thought that existed, but I, but now I know for sure. <laughs> Uh, I mean, so, well, the other thing about this book is, like, Xylar isn't, you know, basically a human with, like, some augmentations or just, like, a different color or something where you're, like, because that was always my thing about these alien romances. And also, it's, like, it's not that serious. I get it. It's also up to the author's imagination, whatever they want to do. I get that, too. So those are my two big caveats. Like, I get I'm ignorant and people are allowed to write whatever the hell they want to write. But it always seemed funny to me that it would be this other planet, but they would still have like a dick and balls and semen. You know, I'm just like, it's amazing that that is the thing that's the constant. And that isn't in this book. Like he's like a, he's like a bird, like insect. He doesn't look like anything. Yeah. On Earth. He doesn't have lips per se. So they can't really kiss. Although there is kissing that happens. Uh I, so in general, before we get to the sex, I think Xylar is one of my favorite heroes ever. Really? Not, is he coming for Craven's crown? No, but let's not, (laughs) Craven's not in the conversation. 
Like Derek is the goat for me. And I feel like he's on a mountaintop looking down on everyone else. I could not imagine a world where I take him down from that summit. I can't. Mm -hmm. I mean, maybe, but it's it's a chase for second at this point. Mm -hmm. But what I will say is that I am, as the people who listen to this podcast know, a big alpha guy. I love an alpha. And I never really thought that I could love a beta. But I love a beta. And Mm -hmm. his name is Zylar. Because (laughs) this guy, and I'll only say guy because what else could I call him? Well, he also identifies as like a he and Beryl identifies as she because then we do have Kerr who is them. them. So, yeah, you can say guy. Yeah, seems to be how he identifies. His whole thing is that when the, the choosing has happened... He's always lost in the second round when people are able to choose other mates. That was his big issue is that nobody wanted to be with him. And he was like, he wasn't really bitter. He was very cautious and a little bummed. And he had like a little bit of low self-esteem, but he turned out to be so loving and caring and protective and such a unselfish lover mm-hmm. like this guy and then when they started making love she she saw his colors deepened like she could see different shades and he he lights up at some at certain points and she could see the beauty that other people had not been able to see or didn't look close enough to see mm-hmm. so there are several times where he could have let jealousy overtake him and make a bad decision or been an asshole and he just never was. And there's just something so steadfast about his character under all this adversity, like a cinnamon roll hero Mm -hmm. that just made me fall in love with this guy. Like I was all in on him. Like from the jump, he really respected Barrow. Even, you know, at the beginning, both of them think the other one is a little grotesque because mm-hmm. they're, they have never seen anyone like them before. But he respects her. He's thinking about her needs and how he can best provide for her. And he's embarrassed that he isn't able to provide for her the way that he wants. And sort of, you really do see them actually falling in love it's not love at first sight or even lust at first sight it's them sort of like slowly getting to really know each other's personality and then through that falling in love through that trying to overcome their differences in anatomy to like have sex and get each other off give each other pleasure and you really see that happen throughout the book which is really lovely to see but you always get the sense that Xylar respects her and wants to protect her and wants to maintain her autonomy because at a certain time at towards the end of the book we spoil the books here guys i mean also if we haven't convinced you yet like you should read strange love no matter what even if you're spoiled it doesn't matter it's still such a good book but and it's free it's and it's if you have kiddo unlimited it's free and it's 2.99 yeah. if if you don't it's it's the bargain it's the bargain of the year yeah it's worth it but um we find out that helix his ai 
and kind of his only friend had lied to him about, you know, that there was no other person. He specifically wanted him to pick an earthling and he does know how to get back to earth and all this stuff. And there was never a moment that I thought like, oh, Zyler's going to keep this from her and she's going to find out and she's going to be mad at him. It was like, no, Zyler would only want her if she was freely choosing him. And so basically the first chance he got, he was like, listen, I got to tell you something like I can bring you back to earth. Like he's like, it's not going to, you can't visit. Like I would have to bring and drop you off and that'd be the end of it. But like, if that's what you want to do, I'll do that for you. And I thought that that was so sweet. And that's been, you know, you don't see that a lot in alien romances for whatever reason, but just this idea that like he was willing to bring her back and to, to give her freedom and, and allow her to make the choice. So then that they she pretty much immediately is like no i'm gonna stick with you um and you sort of see that there's sort of domesticity at the end of the the novel you're like oh i like these people really love each other and will be together for as long as baratheons live i guess (laughs) i don't know yeah yeah and beryl too i mean not to overshadow her who i think is is so fun and so awesome because Mm -hmm. she gets she gets abducted and her thought is, you know what? I've got kind of a lame job that doesn't pay a lot. Although she does like, she's a nanny. She likes it fine. And it comes in handy, which is, which is if you learn anything from this book, every thing that you do and every choice that you make, don't think that it's the end all be all because it could lead to something else extraordinary. So if you're out there and you're a nanny and you're like, this job is going to lead nowhere. You could get abducted by an alien and then live mm-hmm. on an exotic planet and, like her, not have to worry about your debt and your shitty small apartment. You could be living on a vast planet and fighting in a competition to find true love. It could happen to you. So, you know, mm-hmm. it's never something that looks like a dead end could actually not be. But that was the thing that was fun about her is she said, this is better than the life I have now. (laughs) So I'm going to go and do this adventure. And something about that resonated with me where I Mm -hmm. felt like that is kind of a fantasy of, of people where, yeah, you have a shitty apartment, you have a low paying job, you have these things, your love life is DOA, as they say, uh, the Rembrandt say, and you could have something right around the corner that is extraordinary. And she was able to take that opportunity and just go with it, which I think shows that she's such a cool, fun character to root for. Yeah. And I think it's also like we were laughing that she is the chillest person, but I like that too. It's like she gets abducted and she starts rolling with it pretty quickly, which I just liked it's like I didn't need chapters of her being like oh no how do I get home and miserable and crying all the time like she is somebody who has quite a bit of um I don't know what you would strength call it. Pluck. is that yeah pluck who, is great you said that yeah. yeah pluck is great she's got so much pluck that you start rooting for her too because she's like okay well how can i make this work how can i make it happen and thankfully also he abducts her dog as well because <laughs> i feel like maybe had snaps been left on earth she would it would have been more of a like more of a thought of like should i go back or not the the 
I think I was in on this book from the beginning mm-hmm. immediately because he mentions his two hearts. Uh, he has two hearts and he mentions that like off the cuff. And I, I giggled at that. And then when the ship takes off and he's talking about like his multiple stomachs dropped or whatever, funny. But then when Snaps is able to talk and he pees on the chair in the ship and he says, this is mine now. <laughs> and Xylar says, all right, let's make sure to take that chair and put it in your quarters. I, I just thought that was so funny and so unexpected and like the thing with snaps is that yeah there was a few things that were obvious but he also became a character too and kind of learned to communicate better because he was able to talk directly to everybody as opposed to just barking and hoping you you know what he wants mm-hmm. and it happens so subtly that you always remember he's a dog but you also get to love him more because he's able to communicate and be part of the action in a way that I thought was really unique and fun. Right. And he never fell into that trap that I feel like sometimes like movies or books do with like kids and dogs where they're like overly emotionally intelligent. And like, I just don't like it. Like when kids give advice to adults because it's like kids don't do that. Kids are stupid. Not that kids are stupid, but it's just, like, they don't understand the nuances of, like, an adult relationship. So it's, like, yeah, they might say something simplistic or something, but it's, like, I don't don't like it when kids are overly, like, emotionally intelligent in a way that doesn't feel real. And it always felt like, yeah, if a dog could talk, these are pretty much the things that he'd be saying. Like, you hear him saying, hey, hey, hey. He's like, I've been alone so long. I've been alone forever. I'm so bored. I'm I'm never getting out of here. You guys are never coming back. You know what I mean? Things where I'm like, yeah, this is what dogs would say. Yeah, when they go to the garden and he's like, I love to dig. I love to dig, but I love to bury something for a purpose. I need to dig for a purpose. Give me a purpose. Mm-hmm. And, and so what dogs want, they want, that's why they bury bones. That's why they, you know, kill stuff and drag it in to the house. You know, they, they need some sort of purpose. I think cats maybe do that more than dogs do, but, but still, I think th- that was I think really realistic. And then Kerr gives him some seeds off himself to bury in the garden, and he's so excited about his green dog babies. Yeah, he loves them. Dogs are just love too. I get that he would just be like, "I love these things. These are my responsibility." Hey everyone, it's Becky Feldman here, and I am too stupid to live. And do you want to hear something crazy? I also host a comedy podcast called Too Stupid to Live. How did that happen? I have no idea. Um, anyway, on Too Stupid to Live, I am joined by some hilarious guests where we review romance novels $5 and under. And we have covered the gamut of romantic fiction, from historical romances to dinosaur erotica. Which, you know what, now that, now that I think about it, I think that's like also a historical romance. Um, Anyway, each episode we go on this engaging journey. Um, I've had Sarah McLean, the fabulous author, talking about the power of romance to Nick Weiger of the Doughboys podcast, reading a sexy excerpt in the voice of Elizabeth Holmes. 
That one still gives me very sexy nightmares, but I just can't get enough. Um, so TSTL puts out two episodes a month, and you can find it wherever you get your podcasts. Let's talk a little bit about the choosing. So the choosing mm. is kind of like the big set piece for this book where I guess in Barath there was overpopulation. So now the way that they deal with that is there's this big multi-day or week event where so they call like the nest guardians are the like the female members of the couples although there's Kerr who is non-binary so nest guardians are the ones that like guard and raise the children and then basically the like the paternal group and they have to compete in these like absolutely insane um like trials to for the for the nest guardians it's for them to show that they would like be good guardians they'd be able to take care of baby aliens and they would be able to um intelligently raise them and stuff and then for the the chosen it was sort of that they would be able to they would also be able to protect and provide and all these things and what i loved about this is like first things first like that barrel is here's about the choosing she's like you sure? Yeah. Let's see how this goes. Let's try it. Why not? <laughs> and I love that. And then that the first thing she does, the first thing that she talks to is Kerr, who is like a green spirit, basically looks like just, I don't even know what, <laughs> like has all these fronds and stuff and makes I kind of the- imagined a leafy Groot. Yeah. Yeah, I imagine just like a bundle of green grass. But yeah, and she immediately became friends and immediately like created an alliance that they were going to help each other. And they became like the one in two um, nest guardians out of the competition. And I just liked that it showed that even in this like pretty violent competition, like somebody does die, that the way to win it is through cooperation and friendship and looking out for each other and working together. Uh, I really, I really loved that. And Kerr ended up being such a great best friend character. Cause you know how I am when the heroine has no one, it really freaks me out the whole time. And, and I felt like she had a really true friend in Kerr. Mm-hmm. So it was great. Well, the other thing I loved about this, this, this competition, the way it was written is we didn't have to read every single minute of the competition. Mm-hmm. This book could have been a thousand pages if we saw every, like every moment of this competition. But it, it we only got to see the stuff that was really exciting and pertinent to the plot. I think it was it never outstayed its welcome, and these action mm-hmm. set pieces broke up some of the just walking and talking but I, I i thought it was done so expertly because one of my pet peeves is oh all these long battle scenes that i don't know what's going on and i and i like why do i why am i reading this and and i think there was none of that with this right it, and it was kind of like how sex scenes in a romance novel move things forward and like the sex scenes in this novel really moved things forward. But also it's like we only saw an area of competition if it was 
supporting the story. And we understood that there were just other things happening that we weren't seeing, but they were kind of like nothing really exciting happened or it didn't move the story in any way. So it was irrelevant to us, which is true. Like at the end of the day, I don't need to know how everyone placed in every competition and exactly how things are tallied and what the nuances of every competition are. Like, I don't care. I'm here for the story and I only want to read them if it's, if it serves the story. And so I only ever did, which I liked. So then whenever we did, we were in competition. I trusted the author to be like, okay, well this is important. And if I'm reading this, it's for a reason. And so, I mean, that brings us to the world building in this book, which again, expertly done. I'm not a big world building guy and it was done. So in the background, I was only given information I needed in order to make sense of the world and also done very well because there's this intricate, chosen competition that has to be explained to Beryl. So therefore it's being explained to her and then us at the same time, not just being explained to us when Beryl already knows what it is. So again, very expertly written. And it was also just enough information that I would get it and I would be able to fill in the rest with my imagination. Cause I'm sure the way that the world looked to me in my head is different than how the world looked to you and yours. But it was enough to be able to create that framework, and then I was able to go off of that. You know what I mean? Which is really hard to do, I think. I really have a lot of respect for authors who have to do this level of world building because I'm sure for them, there's like everything is important because they spent time thinking about every aspect of this world that they want you to know that they have. And they're excited about it. And they built this world in their head. And that is really cool. And that is really interesting. And that is really exciting. But ultimately, when I'm reading a story, I don't need to know everything the author knows. And so I feel like that was what was good about this is there was a level of restraint where it's like, I never got a good sense of what Xylar even looks like or any of them. I was just told basically information that it was important for me to know about their bodies or how they looked, but not every little thing. So... I was able to sort of fill in things myself, which I also really appreciated. Um, and, le- and let's not forget, this mm-hmm. is the first book in a series. I know. And we always say how a first book in the series can be really rough because they have to set up so much. And uh, th- that is, the more I think about that, the more amazing this book is. Right. And I I. I can't understand why we aren't here yet in uh, on our planet with the the nutritional cubes. You would like, love a nutritional cube. Can we just get to that point where give me a cube that is everything I need for the day, that is balanced for my body. So like, you know, take my blood, whatever, whatever you have to figure out. Give me complete nutrition in a cube. Boom. This needs to happen, and I don't understand why it hasn't. I think the reason it hasn't happened is because McDonald's, fast food, all these companies run our lives. So there, there, there's a economy about food that we can't extricate ourselves from. But when she gets this cube that is that she says tastes like clipped grass and beets, I thought. I would eat that. That sounds great to me. I think there's a very small but mighty market for this sort of stuff, for nutritional cubes. 
I don't know that I would be as excited for it. Like I like cooking and experiencing eating and stuff, but I understand that you have uh, emotions around it that I don't. Yes. But I would, I was like, I'm in love with this cube concept. <laughs> I think where we need cubes. I think we could feed the world with cubes. And I liked that also like Beryl would think about home and the things she was missing. And she was basically like sunrises, hamburgers and Netflix. And I was like, legit. Yeah. Those are three great things. Yeah. Those are genuine things to, to, to miss. Also uh, one thing too, that I need to mention, cause I'm going to forget it is I hate pet names, but when he refers to her as precious gem, because her name is a precious gem. That's why her name is Beryl. I didn't hate it. And he called her terrible one. Which is like, hilarious every time. Yeah, which for them isn't a term of endearment. But for her, she's like, listen, I don't love terrible one. Can we like workshop this? <laughs> but then she kind of starts to love it because mm-hmm. it, he says it. And the way he speaks is so matter of fact. And that's another thing that could have been really... And there's occasions where the misunderstanding of language where they it's, you know, how the new species take everything literally. Yeah. The aliens here also take everything literally, but only occasionally did I groan. Most of the time Mm -hmm. I laughed at the construction of the conversations between them when it came to those misunderstandings. And Again, that's a, that's another skill that this author has that I think makes her so exceptional just in general. Like I I I don't want to to praise an author like this is not denigrating other authors obviously because we we love a lot of authors on this podcast. Yeah. But the more I'm talking about this book, the more I am amazed by it being what it was, <laughs> you mm-hmm. know? Well, I mean, that's the thing. I, I think that's great. I, and we talked about, like, we were um, texting about this book, how great it is to have this podcast and have people recommend these books that it's like, frankly, if I came across Strange Love just in my normal, like, looking for my next to read, I don't think I would have read it, to be honest. But I'm so happy that I did. We ended up loving it so much. And that's really the gift of this podcast is that we get to read so far out of where we would go necessarily that we get to discover these authors that are really amazing. And like you said, it's like, yeah, but praising one author doesn't mean that we don't like other authors or whatever. But it is sort of like recognizing the amount of skill that goes into writing a book like this you know, is something that we should do, especially because of, you know, romance being denigrated and being called all these like formulaic or not really given the respect that it deserves because it's like, then there are books like this where it's like, deserves to be a sort of a bigger book that it kind of ever will be because of all these things that it does. Exactly. Like this author, I believe could write in pretty much any genre they wanted to tackle and it would be interesting and it would have their own spin and it'd be worth a read i think in my opinion yes now we i think we were teasing people about this but we have to talk about the sex now (laughs) 
Yeah, I it. I mean, the thing about it's like this sex. Like, was this sex good? It's like it. It didn't turn me on at all or anything, but it it was fascinating to read, and it was, it was good sex scenes in that they it. What I we're going to talk like nuts and bolts about the sex, but I do feel like something I loved about this book is it is just about two beings basically choosing to be together and then figuring out what that looks like for them. And I think that's such a great allegory for every relationship. Like obviously some people aren't aliens with thoraxes and internal sex organs and all this stuff, but it's like ultimately every relationship is walking up to someone and saying, all right, let's try to make this work and then doing your best to make it happen. And and obviously this is such an extreme example of it, but I did love that it was so grounded that I'm like, yeah, this is what relationships are. Yeah. Um, So can you explain sex? Can you explain it to me? Okay. So here's what it is. Xylar has like a thorax that has an exoskeleton. And so when he becomes aroused, there are, he has like deep grooves in his thorax that are, start to throb. And when he comes, he squirts like semen into this cavity. And what another like Baratheon, like female would do would be take, she would scoop the semen out of his thorax and then put it in her body. That's how they have sex. But Beryl is not a Baratheon. So she instead basically just like reaches in her hands or her tongue and stimulates those nerves. Like he basically has like three clits and stimulates them until he comes. But he has also has androgynous zones around his like neck and neck flap and between his finger, between his talons that are all sensitive areas as well. Like erogenous zones that she also like stimulates. Yes. Yeah, that make- he, yes, that made complete sense. And that's uh, what you thought was happening too, because truly, you could tell me something completely different. And I'd be like, huh. No, right. that's what I got from it that there was a scooping out that needed to be done at some point. Mm-hmm. But they, that was if you wanted to procreate, and they kind of got around, they did kind of like the, the Mormon sex, <laughs> where it's like, if I do this, it's not trying to get someone pregnant. So it's not really sex. Right. But yes, this did not. The one thing that I think did turn me on about these scenes is there is something sexy to me about the alien aspect of, you know, the sex where it's like her, her having sex with an alien who is, you know, unique and uh, there's that kind of taboo element to it, which I, I enjoy. But the thing that I loved about it is how open they were to each other, exploratory they were with each other, how mm-hmm. ungrossed out she was by him and how ungrossed out he was by her, obviously, because mm-hmm. it, it, from his view, she was, she had fur, pointless fur and, uh, he would massage her scalp, which she loved. Mm-hmm. And I love the element of him. And that's that's an erogenous zone, right? But it's, I think, an underrepresented erogenous zone because, you know, most guys go straight for the tits. They go straight for the, you know, ass. They go straight for the pussy. But he <laughs> he was giving her these 
massages with his claws on her head and it was driving her crazy. And I think that represented a very, it's sensual, but it's not aggressively sexual, which I think was so nice because that's what I don't like about these books. It's like anything. It's like, if it's just pounding, which we don't read a lot of those kind of books, we read sensual books, but this was very sensual but so unique and, and, and weird that, you know, it reminded me of the Omegaverse book that we read. Yeah, Slow Heat. Slow Heat, where, again, true emotions invested in the characters, batshit, <laughs> batshit just like sex, like ways of, of, of procreating. And that, that was the same thing. Like, that that author is so great that you were invested in this craziness and it was the same thing here and i you know i thought they were both seemed really sexy yeah i yeah i agree i think there is something sexy just about them really being invested in the other one in sort of whatever it took to to bring them pleasure to get them off i love too that like she would hug him and he like there isn't hugging in his culture and he he found it really strange at first but like he grew to really appreciate it and like it because he knew how important it was to her so she's like Mm -hmm. well i like this thing because she really likes this thing so it 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 means something to me now and he slept like (laughs) suspended and she liked to burrow in trash because <laughs> they went to some warehouse to grab fabric for her to, to mm-hmm. sleep because, you know, like me, I need to be, I need to have covers when I sleep. I don't know how you are. Mm-hmm. I think most people are that way too. So they, she actually ended up fastening a mattress and sheets out of a tarp and all this stuff that is, and, and, and stuff from the garden that had fallen off of plants and she she creates a kind of hybrid for them to sleep in together once she realizes that he would rather be suspended so it was like this kind of amalgam of both of the ways they wanted to sleep and i was like yeah that is what relationships are like that (laughs) is that that is what you do you you take what you both want and you compromise and this book weirdly gave me so much hope when it came to love and romance because mm-hmm. Zylar had been he had always been overshadowed by his asshole brother and mm-hmm. always rejected because his colors weren't bright enough and he didn't have you know and it wasn't here's the thing it wasn't about his colors not being bright enough it was about him not having confidence in his colors right and once he met Beryl and realized that somebody was going to stand by him no matter what and not leave for his brother, his confidence grew. And he never became an arrogant jerk or an asshole, but he became confident and he became more attractive and more beautiful to himself. And therefore it made him more beautiful outside. Issues with self-esteem or like depression or things like that, it can make you look gray to yourself. And everybody else looks like those purples and yellows and bright and you're like that's not me i'm gray and that's not true because they may feel gray inside or they may have at some time but now 
whatever they're doing or whoever they're with or whatever's going on, they're able to see their inner colors and they come out, you know? And I think that's why this, this book was like so inspirational for me in such a weird way. And I did not expect it. I did not expect to relate to Xylar as much as I did. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. What I love too is sort of like how the book ended. So they end up, you know, snaps interferes in the competition and then there's this whole thing with the bringing down the brother and well that was sorry not to interrupt but that was the moment where they have to fight together and Mm -hmm. snap is a good dog and saw that beryl was in trouble because she had twisted her ankle previously and then she really got hurt during this competition and he saw her in danger and his animal instinct was protect my owner, protect my owner. So he runs in, bites the back of this animal and then Xylar is able to kill it. But when snaps ran from outside the ring into the ring, I was like, if they kill snaps, I don't know if I can finish this book. They kill snaps. I'm going to snap. Yeah. Honestly, I was so invested in snaps. Like I was like, I can't, I didn't think, she would but then who knows like that would have upped the tragedy because there were deaths i mean kerr's mm-hmm. kerr's uh uh prospective partner gets killed right. and it has to do with with um Ryzven, who made the competition harder to try and fuck over his brother's ilar yeah his yeah his brother's a piece of shit so they end up in the competition like barely making it like they're allowed to be together and they don't have to sort of escape the planet but they have to live in like the borderlands and they get sort of like the worst placement possible and the barons they're called it's called the barons yeah and and of course barrel's like the barons that sounds like an adventure (laughs) yeah oh because barrel cannot be phased but I think what I love, too, is, like, Xylar was, like, I can't really provide for her. And he's worried about sort of, like, the financial aspect of it. And he's grown up with a certain amount of wealth and he, how she can relate to it. And so they go to the house that they've been allotted by the government. And there's, like, a kitchen and a toilet that kind of looks like a toilet. And Beryl is like, oh, I understand what's happening here. I love this. And, you know, I just really liked that it's, like, for Xylar, he felt like he was really disappointing her, but really this is the best place for Beryl to be. Mm-hmm. And it was just such a nice way to end the book, you know, it was sort of them being together in that way. And the other thing is Ryzven is murdered yeah. by Kerr, and mm-hmm. the plot involves everybody, and nobody has a moral issue with killing this asshole, and I loved it. Yeah. Because he deserved it, he was a bad person, he murdered people, and mm-hmm. at that point, in my mind, I think that, you know, revenge is poisonous and can destroy you, but the way it was enacted, I felt like, well, on this planet, that shit happens, and it's deserved, and he right. just gets killed by Kerr, he just is poisoned by Kerr, Ryzven's nest mother or nest partner is told that he's going to try and make Burl his primary. So she gets in on it and makes it look like he OD'd cause he's a big partier. And he would, he had like these live animals that he would mm. have people eat at his parties, which was illegal. And then Xylar narks on him. 
which <laughs> I'm usually not for snitching, but it made sense at this point to snitch. Yeah. And he's murdered and everybody's fine with it and the world's a better place. And there's something about that that I felt like that is in working, that that works alongside with the happily ever after in these books where wouldn't we all just love those evil, evil people that are unredeemable to just be snuffed out? Right. And I know exactly. it's like evil, it, there's like layers to people and stuff, but there's there's certain people that have done enough bad things and their intent is has been negative and bad for so long that the other side doesn't really factor into it. Mm-hmm. This isn't the this isn't like a drunk driver kills somebody, let's string them up. This is an act somebody who's taking their power and holding other people down. Although he did, he did find a cure for red pit fever. <laughs> so I, I don't know. I mean, we can't, we do have to take that into account. So I don't know. I'm wavering a little bit. It depends on how bad red pit fever was. No, but I agree. I do think that there is a thing about romance that it's obviously at the end, the main couple are together, but there is something to the secondary part of that is the main couple is together and the world is a little bit better. And I don't think that Ryzen was necessarily redeemable or would change. It's not, it seemed like he was also going to hurt um, Mirali, his his nest guardian, and it, and it seemed like that was not going to change. He was he was destructive to the to society and so it's like whatever obviously i don't condone killing at all but i think within the parameters of this book that they've set up like it was a thing you needed to do and it made you believe like even though they're end up in the barrens and all this stuff like the world that they left is a little bit better for them being in it and that's a big part of romance as well and it's it's so funny because this I mean, I'm not going to go into it, but we were actually just talking about this before the podcast. Uh, sometimes you have to take a step back to take a step forward. And right. that's the what the barons are. They mm-hmm. have each other. And that's what she says. She's like, we have each other. And I actually, the barons doesn't seem so bad because I can cook. I can do these things that I wasn't able to do before. So we'll make it work because we are together. And that is the true essence of what a romance should be is that mm-hmm. together you're stronger than you are apart and you will find your happy ending. Mm-hmm. So yeah. just superlatives all over the place for this book. Great. Yeah. Should we do Goodreads list? Well, we did not answer oh. the most important question. And I'm curious about this. Would you fuck them? I don't think so, ultimately. Not that I don't think that they are both, like, sexy in their own way, but it just seems like it'd be a lot. You wouldn't fuck Beryl? Yeah, I'd fuck Beryl. Yeah, who am I kidding? I would fuck her. And you know what? God damn it. He's so he's so sweet. I'd, I'd have to. I'd have to fuck Xylar. I'd, I'd finger his right. thorax. <laughs> I'd scoop that shit out at least once. At least once. I'd have to try. Yeah, just to see what it's like. 
Okay. So it's not on a ton of lists. I think, you know, it's a very new book. It's like six months old. Uh, It is on, so the first category, the first list is sci-fi romance with non-human aliens. Yes, that is, that is so true and so refreshing. Best very inhuman looking love interest. Yes. Romance slash erotica. I mean, yes, of course. I mean, that's, that's so, everything's on that list. What is not on that list? Uh, there's not even a quality qualifier there's not like best or anything it's just that this is a romance or erotic like the these lists need to be more specific because Mm -hmm. then they're useful right this is completely not useful list alien and earth woman romance slash erotica yes Although erotica is getting thrown in, it's on not this. erotica, and it's no, the furthest I, thing I think from erotica. Yeah, I wouldn't say it's erotica, but if it's romance, romance or erotica, then yes. Yeah. Shy heroes of paranormal romance. Yeah, he is shy, and it's sweet. He's not shy in an annoying way. He's shy because he's had issues that he's overcome, and now he's got a good level of self-esteem which i think is a positive thing but yeah this is not paranormal no it's sci-fi so it can't be on that list yeah shy heroes of sci-fi he's on the list shy sci-fi that's <laughs> the list and he's on it he's number one uh space opera erotic romance i would say no <laughs> No, it's not erotic. Yeah. I mean, it is, it's erotic in a way, but not in the definition that they are. Although it says erotic, erotic, not erotica. Mm -hmm. So maybe it stays on the list because I could see somebody finding this erotic. Yeah. But it's, it's not erotica. That is a very important distinction that we need to make. Don't go into this thinking that it's just pound town. It's not. Right, because there are there is alien erotica, and I think this just isn't it. True. Uh that's it. Those are all the that's all the categories. That's all the lists. I so funny because I sometimes have to take a step back and listen to what I am saying on this podcast because two years ago I would not be able to speak with any authority on any of this. <laughs> and not have as passionate of a just opinion on it as I do now where it's like do not mix this up with erotica do not <laughs> make that like and I'm dead serious like I do not I'm not denigrating erotica obviously but this isn't an erotica this just podcast isn't it. yeah and this book isn't erotica because if you're looking for that you're not gonna find it mm-hmm. uh, all right so what are your tropes Clayton Alien romance, abducted heroine, virgin hero, because I think he's a virgin, right? Yeah. Beta hero. Win your love, because they have to do a competition, so there is a a winning situation going on here. Jerk brother, attentive lovers, lovers from different worlds, unique sex, Finger banged hero, mm-hmm. and dildo fingers 
because we forgot to mention <laughs> that at the very end, Xylar has fashioned some sheaths to put over his claws so that he can penetrate Beryl. And he does, but then he penetrates himself at the same time. <laughs> yeah, double-headed dildo. And you know what? It was really romantic. It was very sweet. The sweetest. Yeah, loved it. Uh, Aaron, what were your tropes? So I had Stranger in a Strange Land, uh, Alien, Human, Love, competition together because they were competing together. We can't have sex because they're technically not allowed to have sex until after the competition and they have been basically allowed to get married. Um, but then Beryl points out, well, we can't procreate, so does it matter? And then quickly Zyler's like, yeah, it doesn't fucking matter. Um, asshole family because it's Ryzvin. Uh, beta alien hero accidental abduction because he abducts her he does not mean to unique sex we've been over it forced proximity <laughs> because they are basically forced together he's the only person she knows for a long time supportive couples they really love and support each other good dogs and bisexual heroine oh yeah that's right because she mentioned that she's had boyfriends and girlfriends mm-hmm. and i like that too like she was so she was such a sex positive heroine she was. And so she was doing community service when she got abducted, right? I mean, that was so confusing to me because he, she was abducted right after a Civil War reenactment, which is like, we can stop that, I think, in general. That's stupid. But that was part. What kind of community service is that? That's a community service. I don't know. That was, I that think was a little she, bizarre to me. She was cleaning up after it, I think, right? Because she was like... Didn't she say that she had to like clean up after it, and that's what she was doing? I guess so. Because you know how but it's I like think... community service—you yeah. clean clean up a highway and 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 things. So you take the little stick with the metal end, and you're just like, you know, they always show it in movies. Like that's such yeah. a bizarre beginning. And also, I love that she was doing community service, and we don't know why. Right. Well, it's also she could have just been like walking in a field. You know what I mean? It's like, I could have just done with that. But I guess he had to think that there had just been like a massive battle. But yeah, that was a little odd, but I decided to not think about it too much. <laughs> That's how I did it. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I still I still loved it. I still oh, loved yeah, every definitely. second of this book. I could talk about this book for another two hours. Mm-hmm. I can't wait. I think this should be... Has the second book come out? No. So the second book is about Helix, the AI. Oh, because Helix gets sent away. Yeah. Because it, it, because Helix becomes human, kind of. He becomes sentient. Like, he can make decisions and lie and stuff, which, you know, computers aren't supposed to be able to do. This may be... I would be very interested to continue this series the way we're doing New Species. Yeah. Like, like this is a series that we follow. And well, I don't put- know when the next, yeah, when the next book is coming out, but yeah, I'd be down to read it too. Right? And I feel mm-hmm. like Anne Aguirre, if you want to talk about this book with us, we would yeah, love to have you on because I really would love to talk to you. We would love to talk to you. 
and we need to get we need to get a quote on her next book. That's what we need to aim for. <laughs> we need to have a quote on her book that for the next one that comes out, and uh, I think that would be huge for mm-hmm. us, not for her. <laughs> she doesn't need us. Yeah, no, she does not need us. She's doing perfectly fine. And if she never listens to this, also that's fine. That I always anyone who doesn't want to listen to us or hear our opinion, I respect. Oh, of course, of course. <laughs> yeah, but, that makes sense but, to me. But for anybody who's out there listening that is not Anna Guire, the just read this book. You will. I yeah. don't think you'll regret it, honestly. All right, Clayton. I mean, other than Strange Love, what have you been swooning about this week? Man, it's so hard because Strangelove is 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 taking up so much much of my mind in the past forty eight hours. But I want to swoon about a band, and they are a group of young ladies named Snarls, and they have an album <laughs> called Burst, and it is a pretty short album. It's I it's very hard for me to describe because I was thinking about this. I'm so I love music so much, but I could never be a music critic because I'm so bad at describing music mm-hmm. other than how it makes me feel. And there's something about I would say if you want to know why I love this band so much, there's a song called Walk in the Woods. It's the first song on the album. And there. I get really emotional when I hear it and I don't, it has nothing to do with the fact that I, it's hard to walk in the woods nowadays because of, (laughs) you know, social distancing and things like that, or finding wooded areas in New York city. There's just something so yearning about the, the singer's voice. And it's, it's like indie rock. It's definitely guitar, drums, bass. And it's kind of, I I can't, jangly makes it sound like REM, but it's not jangly. It's just, good solid indie rock and it feels like a band that could have existed in the 90s and i love that sound and i just think it's i don't know it's really hard to describe but i'm really loving this album i listen to it constantly when i go on a run it's like very motivational so i would say check out snarls burst Mm -hmm. that's my swoon aaron what are you swooning about so real quickly before my swoon, I read a book that I was gifted on NetGalley this week, and it is the newest from Kerrigan Burns' uh, Victorian Rebel series, which is like, if you have not gotten on the Victorian Rebels train, I don't know what to do with you at this stage. It starts with a high mint. Wayman, we read the hunter it's so good it's it's truly over the top but really rooted in reality and insane things happen and it's like an amazing soap opera i'm shocked that i mean quite frankly i'm shocked at the um that the the bromance book club has been optioned and this hasn't because this is like the juiciest craziest series i've ever read and so the new book in the series called a dark and stormy night uh, is going to be released within the next few weeks. So if pre-order it now, I read it. It was perfect. It's Carlton Morley, who's the inspector, the the, the chief of police or high up in the police in London. And uh, it's just really well done. And it just really delivered. Uh, and I absolutely loved it. So that's my swoon before my swoon. <laughs> uh, but I just wanted to get that out there that it is 
a it's a perfect book. And Carrie Coburn is a another amazing writer that we really love. And if you want to come on the the podcast, if we're just shouting out people that we want to talk to, I would also love to talk to her. Oh, 100%. But again, yeah, if she doesn't listen and she doesn't want to talk to us, yeah, I respect that too. That's fine. <laughs> Makes sense if anything. Um, and so my second swoon is obviously this week has been a lot has been happening in society, in the culture that is big and confusing for some people um, and heartbreaking. And I think it's a bit of a reckoning at this time, especially for white people to really educate ourselves as to the deeper issues that have been going on in this country since before it was a country. Um, And so thinking about that, a documentary that I watched that I really felt was an easy way to explain a lot of um, the issues that are are happening now, sort of where they started, was The 13th. Um, it's a documentary. It's available on Netflix. It's by uh, Ava DuVernay, who's a wonderful director. Um, and it talks sort of about policing since the time of the 13th Amendment, which is the amendment that outlawed slavery. And uh, it's obviously it's heartbreaking and it's tough to watch. But I think right now, if this is an area that you are ignorant of, uh, it's okay to not know something, but then it's important to sort of educate yourself once you realize there is something that you don't know. Um, And if you are like a lot of people, I think right now who are just like, well, I don't really know where to start. This is a really wonderfully done documentary um, that I would heartily recommend to to everyone. Aaron. Where can they find us? If you could take the time to rate, review, subscribe to us on Apple Podcast. It's the, how people find us. Uh, we really appreciate when people do take the time. Um, we haven't had any new ones for a little while. So just, you know, if you're thinking of it or if you've been meaning to do it, we would really appreciate it if you did take the time, if you feel like we deserve it. Uh, you can always email us at learningthetropespodcast at gmail.com. Um, Write us a recommendation email. I mean, Marlene did it. It really changed our whole week, and we really appreciate it. Uh, But if you just want to say hi, if you just want to uh, talk about a a book you love, if you want, we are going to start doing a rom-com every fourth Wednesday. Um, So if there's a rom-com that you want us to watch, let us know. Uh, We're on Twitter at Learning Tropes and at Instagram at Learning the Tropes. Come join us on the Facebook group, the Learning the Tropes Troop. Um, I'm sure there'll be a big discussion about this episode and this book, um, but it's a, it's a fun place to be. Uh, to, if you want to talk about books, if you want to talk about movies, if you want to talk about kind of anything, you can hang out there. Um, and then next week, we are reading another highly recommended book by quite a few people, our librarian romance, uh, Hearts on Hold by Cherish Reed. Um, so I'm excited for that. And if you hadn't had to have that opportunity yet, go out, grab that, put it on hold. However you get your books, get that one. Um, and then finally, Learning the Tropes is part of the Frolic Podcast Network. Find more podcasts you'll love at frolic.media backslash podcasts. All right, bye, everybody. Stay safe. So can so, you explain... Okay, the sex. Can you explain it to me?